0: possibly go so far as to say this is the most dangerous scenario we've seen of the escapes that we've covered since Vitulic and Jones find themselves in front of a firing squad. to For You The War Is Over, a podcast about Second World War, Prisoner War Escapes, hosted by me, Dave.
1: And me, Tony. And in this episode, we are looking at gunner David Tom Davies of the Coast Regiment Royal Artillery. Now, we tried to look into uh, the Coast Regiment, but unfortunately, there are many Coast Regiments, and the information contained within his report is quite sparse. So we don't actually have the unit with which he served. We think we do, because we know where he served. This is a capture on Crete in May of 41 now we've covered quite a number of Crete captures I'm not going to go into great detail about the Crete campaign but just as a quick recap you are more than welcome to go back through our past episodes and 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 listen to all the ones that we've done but effectively it's the Germans capturing Crete over a period of time, in order to shore up their supply routes for North Africa. It gave them another a base, effectively, for aeroplanes and ships and everything else. And, you know, we were defending it at the start of the war. To say it was relatively disastrous for the Allied occupying forces is probably a bit of an understatement. It's also massively disastrous for a number of the inhabitants, uh, particularly when various insurgent actions were taken by the Allies. It was often the locals that paid the price For it, but a little bit about David Davies. He was born in Wales and he was born in July nineteen eighteen. And his profession was he was a clerk. And he joined up in July of nineteen thirty-nine, so again a good few months before the war, and he was a gunner in the artillery. We know what gunners do, and they're there as part of the defence of Crete. Now, unfortunately, his summary of his capture is simply I was captured on the first of June nineteen forty
0: one. Yes, a man of few words. He is. That's about it.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so we don't have any details. We don't, unfortunately, have the exact coastal regiment or battery that he was assigned to, so we, we, we can't get those details, I'm afraid. So for once, we've actually got very little pre-war and actual capture information.
0: Yes, we, we have a little bit of information on the series of camps that he was in for immediately after his capture. So we know that he was held in Kenya for about six weeks and was then moved to a camp at Salonika, on the 14th of July, 1941, where again, he stayed for a couple of weeks before being moved to Stalag 28A in Wolfsburg in Austria, where he was there for, again, about a month until August, 1941, and then he was seconded to a working party near gas. Now, this again is in Austria, very close to the border with Hungary, and this was a satellite camp of Stalag 28A. And he was located at this camp for over two years. So he was at this working camp for several years. So clearly he'd been sent to the parent camp, if you like, at Wolfsburg until he'd been assigned properly to a working camp. So having been sent to this working camp at Gass, and as I say, it's very close to the border with Hungary. It's pretty much on the border with Hungary. We're talking about only a couple of kilometres away. Yeah. He'd been sent out on the working party with Captain Natush, who was of the New Zealand army and they'd been joined in this working party with a private, Joseph Walker. And while with this working party, he states that he'd managed to prise open the lock of the door leading out of the compound they were being held in, and he did this at around about 11 o'clock at night, they decided to make their way towards Budapest. Now, given the location of the working camp being so close to the border, it does make sense to actually head in this direction. And in actual fact, at this stage of the war, Hungary wasn't yet occupied. Now... While it does make sense for them to head in this direction, Budapest itself is round about 240 kilometers away. So they are reliant on getting help from the local population at this stage. But of course, at this stage, Hungary wasn't yet occupied. We do know that by this stage, and not long before this escape took place, Hungary had actually agreed to join the Axis and became the fourth power of the Axis powers. Absolutely. And it was not long after this that they actually started getting involved in the invasion of the Soviet Union. And So, at the point of this escape, Hungary has become a formal member of the Axis power, but it's not yet occupied. Therefore, there is still an outside possibility that there will be members of the general population who are sympathetic towards the Allies, not necessarily fully signed up to being a member of the Axis, and crucially, not yet under oppressive occupying regimes. Yeah. I mean, as we
1: see, the Prime Minister at the time was toying with peace negotiations with the United Kingdom and the United States, which mm-hmm. probably made the Germans very wary mm-hmm. of what was going on, hence the upcoming German occupation of the country.
0: So, which was to come later. Yeah. Yes. Around uh, about four months after this. Yeah, spring 44. Yeah. So... Having made the decision to head towards Budapest, he does say that they had no maps or compasses, but they did have food which they'd saved from the Red Cross parcels. They walked towards the Austro Hungarian frontier and crossed into Hungary without incident not far from where they where their camp was. They then walked for about five miles and were travelling in an easterly direction. They hid up all of the next day in the wood and that night they started taking a northeasterly course. Now on the night of the 2nd of December, so five days after they, they'd escaped, they took the fairly bold decision, actually, I would say to build a fire in a wood now I don't mean that from an arson perspective but actually fire attracts attention it does particularly if you're going cross country it's a really great way of signifying your presence indeed and lo and behold this attracted the attention of some woodmen who then decided to question them now testing the theory that they may receive some civilian aid on finding out that they were escaped British prisoners of war these woodsmen immediately went to fetch the Hungarian police and from there, they were taken to a military prison in Shombatai. Apologies to any native Hungarian speakers. My
1: Hungarian is not.
0: Hungarian is not up to scratch, but I will give it all in a, an effort. That's all we can ask them. Exactly. And they were interrogated at this military prison. Although he does state that they were fairly well treated there. Three days later, on the 5th of December, they were then taken to a camp at Kiskomorom where they stayed for about two weeks until the 19th of December. And he does say that the conditions here were extremely bad. And from there, they were then taken as civilian internees to a castle where they were to stay for a couple of months, actually. Now, while there, they actually managed to make contact with a German woman who lived there. Now, this is not an immediately promising start to an escape attempt, but she was married to a Hungarian Jew. Oh. So we now have a German married to a Jew in Hungary who's potentially relatively sympathetic to allied forces or at least allied servicemen yeah and she and her husband promised to help them out and the woman then gave them a little bit of money and the husband said that he would provide them with maps and compasses and with that they planned to cross the border into Yugoslavia and join the patriots the partisans that were fighting there on the 19th of March, 1944, the Germans occupied Hungary. And after that happened, they contacted the German woman again and her husband, but the latter by this stage had turned against them. Now, that extremely strange... It's a strange (laughs) setup in the country at the time,
1: isn't it? If you've got got Hungarians working for the Germans, it's obviously late enough that you know about the oppression of the Jews. Mm -hmm. You've got a large Jewish population in Hungary and a mixture of surrounding countries and nationals Mm -hmm. within that country. A
0: boiling pot, one could potentially say. Indeed, yes. And while there's no suggestion that the Hungarian Jewish husband has necessarily sided with the Germans, I think... The fact that he's kind of turned against them is on the basis of rather not wanting to attract attention towards any effort or give them additional reason to identify and harangue him. It wasn't the worst career move to keep your head down, let's put it that way. Despite this though, the German wife still promised to help them in spite of the threats coming from the husband to report her to the police. But before they could do that, the Germans had surrounded the place and presumably had identified the Hungarian Jewish husband as an undesirable. So, on the 20th of March, they were then moved into a, a town nearby, and that night, Captain Natush of the New Zealand army was taken away. Although he does say that as he was leaving the building, he escaped and we did not see him again. So, on the 21st of March, so we're talking about two days after the occupation of Hungary, we were taken to Belgrade and placed in the concentration camp at Zemun.
1: Now, this is really interesting, because we, we haven't covered the Yugoslavian area mm-hmm. as being a place... Well, I don't think we've covered it within actual conflict in terms of that, but certainly not within a place to confine prisoners of war. It's certainly a new one for me.
0: No, and further than that, we've never actually covered an escape from a concentration camp either.
1: We have not. I mean, it's not... We, we know that obviously several people from the Great Escape ended up in concentration camp so mm-hmm. we know it's not un, well it's fairly unusual mm-hmm. but not unheard of for some prisoners to be placed in a concentration camp yeah but it's also
0: haven't... not unheard of for prisoners in a concentration camp to escape but again it's not normal correct i mean it was pretty rare for it to happen from a prisoner war camp it was even rarer to happen from a concentration camp
1: yeah but this is our first example that we've covered hmm Of an escape from a concentration camp. Yes, indeed. And a particularly nasty one at that.
0: Yes. So I think at this point it's perhaps worthwhile just covering some background information and laying some groundwork before we go into some of the detail. Mm -hmm. So, as always, there are no doubt people who are far greater experts than I on the concentration camp system within occupied Europe. What I want to cover is a general rule of thumb for the general listener. So there were effectively three types of camp in operation in occupied Europe. There was the prisoner war camp, a concentration camp, and an extermination camp. I realise that this is very broad brush, does not cover the nuance, but for the purposes of this, that will suffice. Yeah. Because you certainly sometimes get people confusing one with the other, particularly concentration camps and extermination camps, which are not necessarily the same thing, but could be, and quite often were.
1: Concentration being normally more for forced labour?
0: Potentially, yes. So the prisoner war camp was precisely what it said. It held prisoners of war that were captured as a result of warfare and were largely covered by the Geneva Convention. And the prisoners that were held there were protected by the Geneva Convention. Concentration camps were actually originally, and even still to some extent, certainly in Nazi Germany pre-war and during the war, were actually what they said on the tin in that they were there to concentrate people into a confined space. So
1: undesirables, political prisoners? Political opponents,
0: gypsies, Jews, homosexuals. Returning to the word I used before, undesirables. Mm -hmm. And then there was the extermination camps which were what we typically conceive of being the likes of Auschwitz, Treblinka and many others. Yeah and, and sadly too many other camps. They were quite often attached to concentration camps but not necessarily exclusively. For those who do want to go into it in greater depth, the seminal book on this is a book called KL, which uh, stands for Concentration Lager, which is, of course, the German for a concentration camp. It was written by Nicholas Waxman. It's something of a doorstop. It <laughs> is huge, but it is the seminal work on this and goes into far greater depth and detail on the different forms of, we'll call it extrajudicial camp system within nazi germany and occupied europe nick faxman is a fantastic historian german originally and was actually a member of the research team that was involved in the david irving case at the old bailey interesting yeah Back, i think around about 2000 yeah when he was sued for comments he'd made around the holocaust that was one of Nick Faxman's early career post was actually working on that as part of the research team. So for anyone who does want to research this subject in greater depth, the best thing I can do is point you in the direction of of his book. So as I say, that that is a general rule of thumb as to the three different types of camps that we are largely looking at here. A concentration camp was not necessarily an extermination camp. but In saying that, that doesn't mean that conditions were great or that people didn't die en masse in a concentration camp. Hmm. The concentration camp we're looking at here was both a concentration camp and an extermination camp, but it, it functioned as both at the same time and also at different times. So it in its first guise, it was both a concentration camp and an extermination camp. After the extermination ceased to take place, it remained a concentration camp. Okay. So uh, the Zeman concentration camp was it was located near Belgrade in what is now Serbia, of course, then Yugoslavia. Yep. And it has something of a dark history. It was located on a former fairground site. Hmm. which is just sinister there's something very sinister about that it had originally been built as an exhibition center by the belgrade municipal authority mm-hmm. and was built with the aim of attempting to attract international commerce to the city so, so effectively to bring foreigners <laughs> to the city exactly to bring investment to bring as you say foreign investment into the city itself wow following a large-scale uprising in response to the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union in June 1941. So by this point the Nazis were occupying the area. The Nazis used this uprising as an excuse to implement retaliatory measures and particular focus was of course placed upon the Jewish population. And a number of anti-Jewish laws were introduced as a result of this. And then the internment of all Jewish Serbian males in concentration camps was enforced by the end of August 1941. Wow, clearly so quite early. Quite early on, and that's the general context at this point. This is not specific to this concentration camp. Okay. So by that autumn, so a couple of months later, all Jewish men, women and children were ordered to be concentrated in a camp. Initially, the plans in Belgrade were to create a ghetto, But when that became impractical, the Judenlager Semlin, or Jewish camp at Zemun, was established to house them. So this is when we get from the general law and background into the specifics to this camp. Mm -hmm. The concentration camp was established on a peninsula which was surrounded on three sides by the Sava River. And it was positioned in such a manner to make escape almost impossible. Almost impossible. Almost impossible. And surrounded by a river on three sides, it should have been, really. Mm. You've only got one route, really. It's like Colditz. was cold, a cliff on three sides. Exactly. It was purposely located near administrative and police centres in Belgrade and was also close to the Belgrade Central Railway Station, which allowed for the efficient transportation of Jews to the camp from the many towns in the region. Mm. Between 1941 and 1942, so late 41 into 42, nearly 8,000 Jews and Romani or Gypsies were brought to the camp and placed in barely heated makeshift barracks with shattered windows due to the Germans' own bombing raids on Yugoslavia. Wow. So we're talking about winter 41 here into 42 and the barracks were barely heated and had smashed out windows. Now, as I said, it originally started life as an exhibition centre and fairground. Now, these barracks were originally constructed as fair pavilions and the largest held up to 5,000 prisoners at a time. Wow. Consequently, there were numerous influenza epidemics due to sleeping on wet straw and bare floorboards and, of course, the internees were provided with inadequate amounts of food. Starvation was therefore widespread and consequently a high number of detainees, especially children, died over that winter. Many inmates freezing to death in one of the coldest winters on record. Hmm. The Romani inmates were kept in even more miserable conditions than their Jewish counterparts. Wow. They slept on straw in completely unheated halls and were kept separate from non-Romani prisoners. So they were concentrated again within a concentration camp. The treatment is absolutely brutal. Hmm. So the camp was established and operated by the SS Einsatzgruppen units that were stationed in Serbia. Now, we as a podcast haven't come across the Einsatzgruppen. No. No. They were in effect mobile units that were typically sent in behind the front line. When it, what I say by that is, I mean they actually behind their own front line. They weren't behind the enemy's front line. They were yeah. behind their own front line yeah. with the purpose purely to mop up and exterminate the Jewish population of the territory that the front line has occupied mm-hmm. and other what they termed Untermensch, which is undesirables, lesser beings. I think is the, almost the literal, literal translation. Yeah. yeah, so. The fact that this camp was established and operated by the Einsatzgruppen is not great news. Mm. Now, on the 20th of January 1942, the Wannsee Conference took place, in which what became known as the Holocaust was effectively, administratively agreed and decided upon by the Nazi hierarchy. Yeah. Um, again, there is there's a film about this, actually, called Conspiracy and Kenneth Branagh plays a Heydrich. He does. Stanley Tucci is Eichmann. It's a fantastic film. Again, harrowing and chilling, but... It is worth watching if you get the opportunity. Now, at that meeting, among other forms of extermination, death by gassing was discussed. Now, we're all familiar with the death by gassing via Zyklon B pellets that were poured into these chambers, chambers, fake shower blocks to achieve mass extermination. But before that, initial experiments were conducted using gas fans in which the exhaust fumes were piped straight into the back of fans that were loaded with victims. In March 1942, one of these gas vans arrived from Berlin at this camp Mm -hmm. with orders to begin the extermination of the camp's population. Now, at this point, the population is in the tens of thousands. In order to ensure the quickness and efficiency of the gassings, announcements were made with the intent to convince the prisoners that they were going to be transferred to another better equipped camp. The Nazis even went so far as to post fictitious camp regulations and announced that prisoners would be allowed to take their bags with them. Many detainees registered for the supposed transfers hoping to escape this camp's terrible living conditions. Hmm. So inmates who had volunteered to leave then climbed into the vans in groups of about 50 to 80. And the drivers of the van even went so far as to distribute sweets to children in order to win their affection and convince them into the vans. Once the doors of the van were sealed shut, the van then drove across the border and it was there that the drivers exited, attached the pipes from the exhaust into the van and diverted the exhaust into the interior of the van, killing the inmates with carbon monoxide gas. Mm. They were then taken to a nearby firing range where corpses were dumped into mass graves dug by Serbian and Romani prisoners. These gassings became so routine that the gas van arrived every single day except a Sunday, every week. Wow. And it is his thought that that death through this method of gassing was as many as 8,000 inmates, mostly women and children. Wow. There were seven Serbian prisoners that participated in the unloading of the murdered inmates from the van. They were mostly shot. Only one survived. A Serb named Vladimir Milutinovic. And I actually have a quote from him describing the experience. Really? Yeah. He states, around about 80 trenches were prepared and I helped dig all of them. At least 100 people would fit into each trench. These trenches were only for those who suffocated in the truck. We dug a different set of trenches for those who were shot. So if we're talking about 8,000 and around about 100 went into each trench, hmm. that explains the 80 trenches that he had to dig hmm. over a series of months. So as I said, the first gas took place in March 1942. The last prisoners were gassed on the 8th of May 1942, so we're talking about only three months that wow, this went God. on for, and in that time they murdered thousands yeah. of people. So that this. is literally every day, yeah, other than Sundays. Other than Sundays. Few of the inmates remained in the camp once the gassings had stopped. After the gassings were completed, it then became solely a concentration camp, primarily f- used for the purpose of holding partisans resistance movements that were captured, and a few remaining Jewish inmates. However, because the camp was located on the peninsula of the river, it was highly visible to those living and working near it. Meaning the conditions and atrocities were actually quite well known. Wow, okay. And efforts were actually made by the German ambassador to Serbia to make requests for it to be moved. Not shut down, just to be moved. moved. Just moved, yeah. But even these requests were ignored. wow. However efforts were made to eradicate evidence of the atrocities.
1: Mm, you don't surprise me. No,
0: and with the burning of records exhuming and burning of bodies taking place between December 1943 and April 44. The camp was eventually closed in July 1944 with an estimated 20 to 23,000 inmates killed, around 7,000 of whom were Jewish victims. Mm-hmm. After the war it was left derelict for several years, Though in recent years, efforts have been made to recognise and commemorate the history of the site itself. Because it still exists. It is basically derelict, but even the tower at the centre of it is still there. Crucially and critically to this story, as we return to the escape, one of the reasons why the camp was closed in mid-1944 was on the 17th of April, the Allies actually bombed the site. Oh, right, okay. It did kill around about 100 inmates, but it also inflicted serious damage on the camp itself. Like, it's infrastructure and exactly. security. Yeah. Yeah. So, on that note, I'm going to return to Davis's escape report. Right. The reason why I wanted to give some of that background is not just to kind of highlight the darker side of the story, but also to highlight the danger that Davis finds himself in mm. by finding himself in this concentration camp in March 1944, because we've already seen thousands of inmates being killed, purposely gassed. Mm. And while the gassings had stopped by the time davis arrives here it is still a highly dangerous location if only by virtue of the conditions there was no geneva convention protecting the inmates here there's no explanation as to why he ended up in the concentration camp other than he's found himself in hungary and it's it's convenient for the captors to place him there yeah that seems to be the only explanation given but he is in a highly highly dangerous scenario here I possibly go so far as to say this is the most dangerous scenario we've seen of the escapes that we've covered since Vitulic and Jones find themselves in front of a firing squad. No, I I I entirely agree, entirely agree. So, having arrived at this concentration camp on the twenty first of March, nineteen forty four. He met a Canadian, a Sergeant Major McLean, and from then on he continued on with them. They actually attempted to make several escape attempts by cutting the wire, but were unsuccessful as they were betrayed by Italian internees. The camp was actually used to hold Italians after the armistice with Italy in 1943. It was also used for that purpose. So as I said, on the 17th of April 1944, the Allies actually made a bombing raid off Belgrade. And the camp was actually burned to the ground. So when you say there was major infrastructure damage, it was very major infrastructure damage <laughs> yes. in that in effect. Yeah, The primary part of the camp where they were being held. As I said, it still exists to this day, but it is derelict and clearly a major part of it was burned down. As a result of that, they were put into a barbed wire pen for the night on the 17th of April. However, he managed to get out on the night of the 17th and decided to make their way across the marshes outside Belgrade. On their way Across the marshes, they met two Americans, Lieutenant Bridges and Staff Sergeant Loveland, who joined them. As I say, he's already been joined by Sergeant Major McLean. Having reached Asania, a nearby town, Lieutenant Bridges and Sergeant Major McLean were exhausted, so Staff Sergeant Loveland and Davis went into town, and there they contacted the shepherd who went out to get the other two that they left behind and took them all into his house. While there, he actually met up with Yugoslavian patriots and joined the Yugoslavian partisans who were fighting in this area.
1: Wow. Well, we've seen some partisan elements before when Mm -hmm. people have escaped, but that's ballsy.
0: Yeah. I mean, element of out of the frying pan and into the fire, isn't it? Yeah. A couple of weeks later, he met with a New Zealander at Ogar, and they all managed to make contact with an officer of the British military mission in the mountain ranges. He then sent them on to a battalion of patriots nearby at Petrovki. And they stayed there until the 20th of July. so Presumably still fighting with the partisans until the 20th of July. So three months in total when they were met by an aeroplane, which took them to Bari in Italy and collected them. And from there, it took them back to the UK on the 18th of September, 1944. So more than three years after he's been captured and five months after he's actually escaped from the concentration camp
1: that's brutal yeah
0: absolutely brutal
1: yeah i don't really know what to say about that too much it's uh, i mean it's it's a horrible part of history it's one we haven't really covered as you said i mean we will cover in future escapes people who end up being sent there particularly after other escapes but particularly the yugoslavian
0: camps is not something that's come up before but i did want to cover it for that reason because we always say that these are true adventure stories but Sometimes there's a dark history behind the Mm. adventure stories and in in Davis's case that is certainly the case and although he wasn't a victim himself in many ways he was representative of the broader story of that camp which in sheer numbers pales into insignificance compared to some of the other extermination camps out there but he survived to tell the tale. Well, you say
1: tell the tale, but we haven't got anything about any further military
0: service. I I couldn't
1: find anything. In fact, I couldn't find very much about him until about 1970. He did ultimately write a book. Well, actually, in theory, he wrote two books. He wrote the same book in English and also in Welsh because he was a very proud Welshman and you say he tell the story but that really was about the first time that he did because when you look through his obituary he actually wasn't really prepared to talk about it even to his family and, and wife in particular. You can understand why. You can understand why and you know he, he goes in to say that he only actually wrote the book towards the end of his life because his grandkid said this story needs telling so yes he lived to tell the tale but Didn't actually really want to go there. Yeah, he tends to disappear off the radar until about 1970. He's back in his hometown in Carmarthenshire. And he basically, he effectively gave his life to serving others. Because he spent 33 years in total as a councillor on the local council. And he was also part of education committees and boards. He was very much into gardening. He was one of the three founding members of the National botanic gardens of wales he had various small businesses but he actually went on to live a long and happy life because he only passed away relatively recently he made it to the ripe age of 101 and he passed away in april of 2020 wow so not that long ago so in covid i don't know what he passed away from but he basically saw the uh the start of the uh, the COVID pandemic, every reference I could find of him were people singing his praises. He seemed to have been a wonderful, wonderful man. And they ended up dedicating a bench to him and everything else. But I found one quote from the man himself. And I, I, th- I think it's good to include this when you get an insight into their life. He said, I thought to myself, I need freedom. I don't want to be a prisoner. And that's what drove me to keep on going. You want to forget it, because if you can't forget it, it will impair the rest of your life and it would make things very difficult for you, but you can't ever forget everything.
0: Yeah, what, what a fitting quote, which provides even more context to what we've just covered. And I, th- I think the only thing left to say is, if anyone wants to read the book, it's called All for Freedom, a
1: true story of escape from the Nazis. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to subscribe, we're on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or indeed any of your favourite podcast platforms.
0: Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at F-Y-T-W-I-O.
1: Or if you want to send us a more long-form message, you can email us at F-Y-T-W-I-O podcast at gmail.com.